Okay, uh, let me pray uh, before we start. Ask the Lord's guidance and, and grace. Lord God, we come to you and we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the expression of your love. For if he did not come, he did not live a perfect life and die, in our place we would have no hope. We would only have to face your just wrath and condemnation for our rebellion. Lord God, there's nothing good in us, but all grace is from you and through you. And we pray that tonight, as men, as we wrestle with your word, we'll be actually wrestling with the Holy Spirit. And that, Lord God, you might continue to shape us uh, into the shadow of our Savior. We pray, Lord God, that you might use us in a time that is very, very needy of men to be leaders. We pray it in your Son's name. Amen. You have notes, uh, so if you want to take them, you can follow them, you can do that. I'll probably be wandering all over the place, but <clears throat> you have it in front of you, so if I kind of go brain dead, you have something useful afterwards, okay? <laughs> I always say to my... Uh, questions I'm teaching at a seminary people say well what are the students learning I say well I don't know if they're learning anything but we're having a good time uh, we're enjoying the word and enjoying God's principles I'm calling you men out I'm calling you out tonight why in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ as Paul gets ready to die and to see his Savior face to face and he's exhorting Timothy you want to do that, you can read that in 2 Timothy. Or if you want to read his farewell speech to the Ephesian elders to get a real grip on uh, men who love other men and are in the midst of the, the battles, you can read those. But I'm calling you in the presence of God and the captain of the hosts of heaven, Jesus Christ. Jesus, the risen and reigning King of Kings. This Jesus is incredible. This Jesus Christ is incredible. I don't know about you, uh, but I don't know who you think the greatest warrior that ever lived was. But Jesus is the greatest warrior that's ever lived. In one night, Jesus Christ wiped out 185,000 Assyrians. The angel of the Lord came when Hezekiah said, look at what these ignorant pagans have said. Look what Sennacherib has said. Look at the challenge that he gives to you. Jehovah, the living God. And what does God do? He sends the angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord, the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. And in the morning, there's 185,000 dead Assyrians. You know how big that is? It's almost the active duty Marine Corps for the United States right now. That's Jesus Christ. Yes, he's gentle and kind. He doesn't quench the smoking wick. Doesn't break the bruised reed. But you know that he took out the Pharisees. You vipers. You wicked men. You won't lift a finger. You won't go into the kingdom yourself. And you will not allow others to come in. Blind guides to the blind. So we're at crossroads in Western culture. You know that. Our sins are many. It's never been perfect. Right? Our brothers, right? The slave trade, Africa. Of course, everybody's uh, guilty, okay, on all counts. Right? I thought racism was something that we experienced here. Went to Africa, everybody's black, and everybody hates everybody else because they're not of the same tribe. The reason is... Without Jesus Christ changing the heart, there's no peace. There's no love. I'm not going to sacrifice for you, which I have to do, unless the Spirit of Christ is in me, because that's the only one that can be the warrior and the Prince of Peace at the same time. If you want to get the flavor, read Psalm 45. You know, that's probably Solomon. You know, Solomon's going to be crowned and the queen's being brought to him. Strap on your sword. Ride out for justice. Okay? Uh, if you just want to see Jesus in action, see him at the temple, cleaning out the temple, get out of here. Get rid of this. I've come to the conclusion, we'll preach that Sunday, uh, uh, but uh, 
Why did Jesus do that? He's a good Jew. Right? What are you supposed to do during Passover? Clean out the leaven. That's what he's doing. And I think he did it every year. You know, the, the critics are dumb. They're wicked, but they're also dumb. Well, you know, Jesus, you know, the, the synoptics, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, say, say it was at the end of his ministry. You know, and John puts it at the beginning of his ministry. John's confused. No, you're an idiot. Okay. <laughs> Every Passover, Levin had to get out of the house. This is my father's house. You've made it, why? A den of thieves. Okay. So there's sins all over the place, and, and Western culture is going to hell in a handbasket very quickly. Right? Times are evil, and we need to redeem the times. And I'm, I'm challenging, I'm calling you men out. Are you going to be leaders? Are you going to be God's men and lead in your home, in your church, and in your culture? Because there's never been a time when you have been more necessary than now. Let me give you a couple uh, exhibits of how stupid I believe our culture has become. How about this one? <clears throat> Someone came up with the idea that it would be just really brilliant to put women on board ships in the Navy. You know the percentage of women that get uh, pregnant you know, while they're on duty on ships? This is really dumb. You put 5,000 guys, <sighs> raging hormones right on a ship, and you put seven women. Guess what? You've got problems. And now we want to put women in what? Combat arms units. How stupid is that? Just ask the Israelis. They tried. They knew it didn't work. So the bottom line is, there's Exhibit A. Exhibit B. Our Supreme Court of the United States has now said what? You can be a man and a man married to each other, or you can be a woman and a woman and married. So the U.S. Supreme Court has now gone against what Pastor was reminding us of Genesis and the way God created the world. What else? Oh, let's let's pick on Ohio. That's cause, not because I'm from Philly or from Pittsburgh or whatever. But you know, recently, a judge in Ohio did what? You know, you know, Tim, where I'm going, right? These parents, now, now think of this, this is how ignorant we are. The kid's 17 years old, right, who's probably at 18 going to become a full adult. So it goes to court where the court says you lose your parental rights because you parents will not allow this kid to go through a sex change operation. But the grandparents now can have what? Legal rights to these children, this child, because they're pro what the child wants to do. Okay. There's an old saying, the, ins, you know, the inmates are running the asylum. Okay. That's where we are. Now, we can do one of two things. We can either wring our, our hands in despair because we go, wow, we're so close to the Roman Empire. Right? Doesn't it seem like that? The immorality, things going crazy. But guess what? That's the bad news. What's the good news? We've never been closer to the Roman Empire. The gospel worked then. It will work now. It may well be that Tim or I will be in jail for hate crimes or a brother for preaching through Romans 1. This is what God says. And by the way, I don't want to be snarky or mean to anybody. I have relatives that are struggling with this. It still takes a sperm and an egg to make a human being. Right? Anybody know any alternatives to that? They're thinking of cloning. No. And you only get sperm from men, and you only get eggs from women, and them's the apples. That's just, there's some things that are not going to change because we want to put our heads in the sand. But that's where we are, brothers. What are you going to do? I want you to be a Christ-like leader in your home, in your church, and in the culture. Because you and I need to be salt and light. We need to be salt and light in this culture. We may suffer for it, but our Savior suffered, right? Unless you, uh, I don't 
think you probably are here tonight if you're in that, but uh, we all get mad at the, at the name it and claim it stuff, right? That's not the gospel. No, it isn't. But guess what? I, I, I'll tell you my sins. When God's blessing me, I'm an amen, hallelujah guy, right? As soon as he turns on the screws a little bit, my heart starts complaining. That's word faith. That's not the gospel. Christ came for sinners of whom I'm the chief. Okay, so I want to read something, and uh, I think it's very interesting. I won't go into the historic reasons why. But, you know, if you grow up thinking in certain circles, uh, not pacifism per se, but, you know, that the Bible isn't full of fighting or warfare, then you read your Bible. And I want to go into a little-known book, uh, and our text tonight will be in 1 Corinthians. Uh, 1 Corinthians, excuse me, 1 Chronicles. Okay? So if you want to turn to 1 Chronicles, you can. Okay? 1 Chronicles, okay, is written when? Just remember, after the exile. Most people think it was written post-exile. So after the Jews come back from Babylon, they're back in the land, there's a recording. We have it in 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, but particular Chronicles. And, and the purpose, I think, of the book is to, to help those exiles who don't see the glory of David and Solomon's kingdom. You know, remember they cried over the smallness of the temple and, and, uh, and they struggled. Uh, they weren't much smarter than the Jews pre-exile, but at least they got no more idolatry. We're not going with the idols. But they still had their sin, and they needed to know where they came from. The glory days in reality, with all the sin as well as the glory. And what we have recorded in First Chronicles is, is the ascending of David to the throne. And without going into this, uh, I'm not allegorizing or just a wild typology, but you know, David points us to Christ very imperfectly. Praise the Lord, our Savior didn't commit adultery and didn't cover it with murder. Adultery with the wife of one of his best soldiers. If you've ever been in a police force or in the military, you understand the closeness of brothers. And he violated that in a horrible way. But this was the kingdom of God. And I needed to remember. And there's one phrase in the midst of, of 1 Chronicles 12 I want to focus in tonight. I'm calling you as the king's men to be like the men of Issachar. I want to read this. It's a little long, but I, I think it's, it's well worth reading. 1 Chronicles chapter 12. Now these are the men who came to David at Ziklag while he could not move about freely because of Saul, the son of Kish. So it's reflecting back when, when David was on the run. He's like a, a freedom fighter. He's, he's on the run from his, his father-in-law. Okay? This is the time. And these are the men. Uh, and they were among the mighty men who helped him in war. They were bowmen who could shoot arrows and sling stones with either the right or left hand ambidextrous, and they were Benjamites, Saul kinsmen. The chief was Ahazir, uh, then Joash, the, both sons of Shema of Gibeah, and Aziel and Pelet, the sons of Amazath, uh, Barakah, uh, Jehu of Anaphath, Ishmael of Gibeon, a mighty man among the thirty, a leader of over thirty, Jemaliah, Hazael, Hanunah, uh, Jozabad uh, of uh, Gedera, uh, Eluzai, uh, Jeremoth, Beliah, Shemariah, Shephatiah, the uh, Harapite, uh, Elkanah, Ishiah, Azarel, Joazer, Joashabim of the Korites, and Joliah, Joelah, and Zebediah, the sons of Joram of Gedor. Doesn't mean much to us, but uh, our Old Testament guy at seminary actually did his Ph.D. at Hebrew University uh, down in uh, Townsend State uh, on the mighty men of uh, David. From the Gadites, they were, uh, went over to David at the stronghold in the wilderness, mighty and experienced warriors, expert with shield and spear, whose faces were like the faces of lions who were swift as gazelles upon the mountains. Ezer, the chief 
Obadiah second, Eliab the third, Mishmana fourth, Jeremiah the fifth, Atiah sixth, Eliel seventh, Jonanan eighth, Elzabad ninth, Jeremiah tenth, Maccabaniah eleventh. These Gadites were officers of the army. The least was a match for a hundred men and the greatest for a thousand. Now remember, this is before, you know, gunpowder and the like. Talk about hand-to-hand -hand combat. That's incredible, isn't it? One guy can take out a hundred and a man was the equal of a thousand. These guys are no wimps, okay? There, they are men who crossed the Jordan in the first month when it was overflowing all its banks and put to flight all those in the valleys to the east and to the west. And some of the men of Benjamin and Judah came to be the stronghold to David. David went out to meet them and said to them, If you have come to me in friendship to help me, my heart will be joined to you. But if you... But if to betray me to my adversaries, although there's no wrong in my hands, then may the God of our fathers see and rebuke you. Then the Holy Spirit, the Spirit clothed Amasiah, chief of the thirty, and he said, We are yours, O David, and with you, O son of Jesse. Peace, peace to you, and peace to your helpers, for your God helps you. Remember, these are the guys that love David so much that they would go down into Saul's camp to get water just because David said, oh, I'd love to have a, a drink. And then, of course, David goes, these guys almost died to get me that water. He pours it out on the ground. That's the kind of love that these guys and respect for one another. Some of the men of Benjamin, when Judah came to the stronghold to David, David went out to meet them, okay? And uh, that's what he said. Then David received them and made them officers of his troops. Some of them in Manasseh deserted to David when he came with the, the Philistines for the battle against Saul. Then it adds, from a writ, he did not help them, for the rulers of the Philistines took counsel and sent him away, saying, at peril to our heads, he will desert to his master Saul. Remember, he's fleeing Saul. This is a guy, incredible. Now you understand where the Psalms come, right? He's fleeing from his father-in-law. He has to go to a distant relative of the Philistines. And guess what? They're ready to kill him. Remember what he did? He had this guy, you know, acting like he was crazy, right? And the spit's coming down. They go, don't we have enough nutso Philistines that we need this Israeli? And he gets out of town. And this is a guy who knows what it is that literally to be on death's door. And he's not like you or me. How does he respond? When God puts Saul into his hands, what's he say? I'm not going to kill him. I mean, think about this. Every canon of war, right? You not only don't tell your, uh, your enemy where you are, you can kill him if he's trying to kill you, right? But David goes, Man, his, his conscience actually bothered him when he cut, cut the robe of Saul. Twice he let him go. And Saul even said it almost prophetically, for even as bad as he was, I know God's going to put you on the throne, you know, because you've let me go. Twice. He had him in the cave, you know, and later they could have nailed him to the ground uh, when he went into his camp. So these, this is the kind of men that we're talking about. Uh, they're, they're incredible Okay, uh, And as he went to Ziklag, these men of Manasseh deserted him. And then he gives the names of these guys, the chiefs of Manasseh. They helped David against the band of raiders, for they were all mighty men of valor and were commanders in the army. For from day to day, men came to David to help him until there was a great army like the army of God. Brothers, that's what I'm challenging you to be. A mighty army like the army of God. There are, these are the numbers of the divisions of the armed troops who came to David at Hebron to turn the kingdom of Saul over to him, according to the word of the Lord. The men of Judah bearing shield, spear, were 6,800. 
of the Simeonites, mighty men of valor for war, 7,100. Of the Levites, 4,600. The prince of Jehoiada and the house of Aaron, with him, 3,700. Zadok, a young man, mighty in valor, and 22 commanders from his own father's house. Of the Benjamites, the kinsmen of Saul, 3,000, of whom the majority had to that point kept their allegiance to the house of Saul. Of the Ephraimites, 20,800 mighty men of famous, of valor, famous men in their father's houses. Of the half-tribe of Manasseh, 18,000 who were expressly named to come and make David king. Of Issachar, this is our text, I'm going to come back to it. Of Issachar, men who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. That's our text for tonight. Of Issachar, men who had understanding of the times to know what Israel, the people of God, ought to do. 200 chiefs and all their kinsmen under the command of Zebulun, 500,000 seasoned troops equipped for battle with all the weapons of war to help David with the singleness of purpose. Of Naphtali, 1,000 commanders with whom were 37,000 men armed with shield and spear. Of the Danites, 28,600 men equipped for battle. Of Asher, 40,000 seasoned troops ready for battle. Of the Reubenites and Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh from beyond the Jordan, 120,000 men armed with all the weapons of war. All these men of war arrayed in battle order came to Hebron with full intent to make David king over all of Israel. Likewise all the rest of Israel were a single mind to make David king. And they were there with David for three days, eating and drinking. For their brothers had made preparation for them. And all their relatives from as far as Issachar and Zebulun and Naphtali came bringing food on donkeys and on camels and on mules and oxen. Abundant provisions of flour, cakes of figs, clusters of raisins, wine and oil, oxen and sheep. For there was joy in Israel. Brothers, we're not coming to an earthly kingdom. Our king is in heaven. He's already exalted. But God is calling us as men to be like the men of Issachar. To understand the times and what Israel, the people of God, ought to do. That's my challenge to you tonight. Can God depend on you to be a mighty man of valor? To stand among his people and to lead. So let's uh, just apply this real quickly tonight. A couple different spears. Spears, excuse me. Spears, I've got spears on my mind. How many of you are married? Anybody single? One guy. Okay, we'll pray for you. No, it's okay. <laughs> okay. You can lead. By the way, you don't have to be married to be a leader. Okay. But certainly if you're married, you need to lead your wife. And uh, you've been to enough biblical counseling conferences, I'm only uh, telling you what you already know. You pray with your wife? Do you pray with her? Do you pray for her? Do you open up the word of God to her? Or do you just say, well, that's simply the pastor's task? You know, are you leading her you know, to still waters? Are you her good shepherd? Are you being to uh, Christ to her in the sense of bringing the word, bringing the love of God? Or are you just a delegator and dump it all on her? Uh, Genesis 3.17. God curses Adam. Now again, that doesn't mean that you don't listen to your wife. But you understand what it said. What was Adam's first sin? Not leading. I, I think about this all the time. What are we dealing with? Is this Narnia? What's what's going? On? What are you talking to a snake? I mean, that's one of the first things I'm going to ask when I get to heaven. What what are we doing talking to a snake? And instead of stepping up and going, hey, let's knock it off, okay? Hun, uh, I'll, I'll take it from here. Because you listen to your wife. Remember, it says there, right? She gave it to him. Whether he came in late in the conversation or what, he came and he should have stopped. He should have protected. He didn't lead his wife. If you 
expect your wife to lead the home. And I'm facing this more and more as people call me all the time. It's not just my counseling, but they call for advice. What do I do with a guy that wants to stay home with the kids? Makes sense, right? Wife's a doctor. She makes what? Lots of money. What are you? I'm a day laborer. Okay? So, you know, okay, I'll stay home and be Mr. Okay? Men are not leading. They're not leading their wives. Okay? I have it all the time. All the way from day one. Okay? I have to, I have to rebuke guys. Did you get involved sexually with your wife before marriage? You know, 50 years ago when I started ministry, well, maybe not quite, 40-some, almost 50 years ago, right? I was shocked when someone said, I should have known from my own life, right, that people were involved sexually. Today, if somebody's a virgin, I'm shocked. Amen? Is that, are you finding out in your ministry? I, I'm, just, I'm just astounded. I get two people, they're virgins. Praise God. But that's rare. Okay? And I tell a guy, I don't care what your wife did or what she complicit with it. You're the leader. You should have never been involved. That's your bad. You need to take responsibility for it from day one. Are you reading, praying with your wife? Are you leading her? Okay? Uh, my wife's giving a talk tonight. Uh, when we're in the Czech Republic, women asked about this, and she has this talk she's giving. It's called what? From duty to delight. Why? Because most women think sex is a duty, and she says it ought to be a delight. So the guys said, why did they go to a seminar, and we didn't. So I gave them one. You know what it was called? Take a guess. From delight to duty. <laughs> Now, why? Because you don't have to teach most guys that sex is fun or, or pleasurable. They have to teach it. It's service. Sex is not about you. It's about God. It's about your spouse. So, uh, sexually, religiously, every other way, economically, are you leading your wife? You have to step up to the plate. It's certainly Christ-like, right? Ephesians 5, we all know that and use it in counseling, right? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. What did he do? He left heaven's glory. You know? And he came voluntarily, didn't he? Right? Did the Father have to throw him out of heaven? No, he volunteered. If it was me, I'd go, hey, send someone else. <laughs> Holy Spirit. <laughs> Wait a minute, let me get this, let me get this straight. I go and do this, and this is what I get for it. Not real fair, right? But Jesus Christ, he's there, okay? He, he humbles himself, Hebrews 2. He died for the sons of Adam, for Abraham's seed. He comes, okay? Is that the kind of leader you are in the home? Just think about that. There's a lot of materials. If you, if you don't know them, we can point them to you. Most of you are training, you know, for biblical counseling. You've got to know them inside and out. But one of the things you have to do is to be able to say to that other guy, you want to see how a leader leads? Come home and eat at my meal with me. And watch and see how you lead family worship and how you deal with the family. Okay? Now, you won't be perfect. Okay? But the bottom line is you have to be leading your wife. 1 Peter 3. How costly is it? On the positive side, it's costly in that you have to sacrifice like Christ. But negatively, if you don't lead, what does 1 Peter 3 imply? It's not even implied. It's openly stated. If you don't live with your wife in an understanding way, and, you know, what will God do with your prayers? Well, you Exactly. I was telling like this in counseling. Come here, son. When you treat the little lady a little better, come back and ask me that. Because right now, you're not getting that request. I tell guys, how many times are you in a problem in business or somewhere else that you're struggling? Could it be because you have not been Christ-like to your wife? And... Uh, we understand the authority, but we often don't understand the sacrifice doing. Christ and the church. As it says in the notes, obviously you need the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen.
You can't do this on your own. I don't know about you. I can't squeeze an ounce of love, joy, peace. I can paint a smile on, right? Uh, one of my wife's favorite phrases, how am I doing? C plus. <laughs> Which being translated means, honey, I, I love the effort. I can see the effort. Quality's not up there yet. <laughs> okay? So the reality is, okay, you have to be a man like Christ to your wife. So that would be the question. Go home and ask your wife tonight. Are you more Christ-like because you married me? Now let me, let me, let me make this real clear. And I don't mean how many times have you frustrated her so she has an opportunity to grow in grace. I mean positively blessing her. How, how, many, how many of you could say that? I hope, I hope to God that that's the case. And if not, get down on your knees tonight. Now let me, let me tell a story of a brother who's not here, but you all know him. John Street, right? He's from this neck of the woods, right? From Ohio, right? <laughs> You've heard the story, right? Jeannie, Jeannie got up at one of our meetings with all the leaders of, of ACBC, right? And she told this story, and it's true. John Street was, was at Beaver Creek, okay, at the church there, and he would go out to Lafayette, Indiana, to Faith, then Baptist with Faith Church, and get training, right? Almost every... Monday night, he'd come back like at one in the morning, he'd wake her up and ask her for forgiveness for something. So she goes, she wrote a letter said, I don't know what you're doing, but don't stop. <laughs> okay. So I'm not talking about the you're provoking her to wrath and giving her an opportunity, but positively. Uh, does she know more about Christ by uh, teaching and by seeing it in you? So obviously, you need that. And so that's the first place to start. The second one is, comes out of that is you need to lead your children. Now let's get this straight. You're not the Holy Spirit, so you can't save your kids. You can't you can't regenerate them. You can't put a, a heart of flesh in them. Okay? They got what? A heart of stone from you. They, they got that honestly, okay? But to be regenerate, they need the Holy Spirit. Which means you ought to be praying for your kids. Okay? I've come to understand why the second beatitude, first one is what? Blessed are the poor in spirit, right? What's the second one? Blessed are they that mourn. And usually I think properly we think of repentance, right? Mourning of our own sin. But I, I, I fail this way. I'm, easy, I'm, I'm more readily angered by my kids' sin than mourning over it. I need to be grieved. I need to be grieved. I need to be the kind of father that will point them to the Heavenly Father. Okay? Sometimes we get it right, sometimes we don't. I said this to one of my daughters at one point. Do you think the kids next door will you know, believe in Jesus? This is when they were young. One daughter said, no. I said, why not? She says, the way you treat them at church. You're so mean. Shh, be quiet. You know? so, so what my kids were getting... And, and what the neighbor kids were getting was this picture of what? A stern, angry father, not a father that could come and put his arm around and say, hey, son, daughter. Now, I mean, uh, I'll tell you my, my sins here, okay? I'm saying to my son, he was number I wonder how any firstborn kid ever makes it in life, okay? So I'm saying to my firstborn, son, will you act like a man? I feel this hand on my shoulder. It's my wife. He's only five. <laughs> That's one way to provoke your kids to wrath. Okay. But the bottom line is, you know, uh, are you are you really leading your children? It's a noble task. It's, it's a wonderful thing. Deuteronomy six, right? In our in our home. Uh, I still remember to this day. My wife ran a pro-life pregnancy center in San Diego for 10 years. Got shut down by Planned Parenthood. We wear that as a badge of honor. Okay. Uh, but uh, every time we'd watch a movie, the kids can can we see the movie without a comment? No, because my wife would go, that's it. She'd stop the movie and go, that's the heroine and that's the hero. They're not supposed to be living together. That's sin. Okay, so maybe you should say, why didn't you screen the movies better? But the bottom line was, the kids would always say, can we see the movie without a comment? No. 
Why? Because Deuteronomy 6 says, when you get up, when you sit down, when you go out, when you come in, and in these days, brothers, you know, you've got to walk down the street, and, and what's wrong with that? Well, see, that guy is really a man, and he's dressed as a woman. He's very confused. It's sinful, but the, the person's really confused. We need to have compassion, and they need Jesus Christ. Uh, you know, you can Proverbs in one hand, you know, and arm around your kid, right? Walk downtown Cleveland. You've got plenty to explain, you know, in terms of to kids. Huh? But that's what we're supposed to be doing. Are you doing that with your kids? Are you explaining to them? Or do all they hear is your negative criticisms, okay? Bottom line, we need to, not to provoke them to wrath, right? Ephesians, Colossians, we're not supposed to dishearten our kids, okay? Uh, we need uh, to be the kind of men that lead us. Why? Because the home is what? It's the minor league for the church. Okay? That's the biggies. You know, if a man can't run his own household, how then can he run the household of faith? See my point? So, so it's a learning lab. Okay? Uh, and any of you, how many are pastors here or elders? Right? A bunch of you, right? You know what I'm talking about, right? You got a bunch, you got a people, they're 50 or 60 year old bodies, but they're acting like kids, right? We got a missionary friend over in Italy. You know, I actually preached there last uh, summer. And uh, these are all interesting, you know, late converts in life, 50 and 60, and they're acting like little kids. You know, all the things, the little stuff that you expect six and seven and ten year olds to do, they're, they're doing that. They don't understand how to live their life according to the scripture. So you have to learn in the home, okay? You have to be what? Father like your father in heaven. And aren't you glad, I'm glad, that I have a perfect father because I can always point the kids to a father that's better than me. But that's what we need to do. You need to lead your wife and you need to lead your children, okay? But thirdly, I'm going to challenge you. A lot of you are already leaders in the church, right? It's a noble task. Actually, it was very interesting when I went to seminary. I got converted to seminary. That's another story for another time under Jay Adams. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, I could tell you later why I got to seminary. But I got to seminary, and I was so ignorant. I, I mean, I was the dumbest of the dumb. Guys would look at me and go, Scipione, you're an Arminian. No, no, I'm an Italian. <laughs> had no idea what they're talking about, right? You remind me of talkative in Pilgrim's Progress. Oh, really? I, now I know that that's not a compliment. <laughs> okay. I'd never read Pilgrim's Progress. I'd never heard of Pilgrim's Progress, okay? Bottom line, I get converted there. I go up to my pastor at one point and say, I want to run for elder. <laughs> I told you I was dumb, right? <laughs> and he looked at me and goes, people don't do that. <laughs> I said, well, I just did. I said, what are you talking about? He said, well, it says right there in First Timothy, if a man desires to be an elder, he desires a good thing. And I said, why should I think that a bunch of strange people never met me would call me as a pastor if the people I worship with now don't think I have gifts, you know, for ministry? He goes... First time in my life. Oh, that makes sense. I did something right, present. <laughs> Princess Bride, in case you know that. Uh, it's Andre the Giant who just died recently. Anyway, okay, back to back to. Let's stick to the text. Okay, so um, it's a noble task, but again, your leadership as a husband and as a father is what sets you up for this. Now, that's the normal process. By the way, if you're single, you can still be, right? You say, well, you have to be the husband of one wife. <laughs> what if you're a widower, okay? Can't be, you know, literally one wife. Because like, Jesus wasn't married, right? And Paul wasn't married. So, I mean, the bottom line is, uh, that's, a, again, a fuller explanation. But a man, a man who is of integrity, loves family, loves people, the home is the minor league for the church. 
That's where we should be looking. If somebody has got their act together by God's grace through the power of the Holy Spirit, we ought to look at that guy. God wants you. How do you know that? Well, not a radical charismatic. I don't have to hear God say, why? You got gifts. God doesn't waste them. It's obvious that you are a leader and a leader of men, and you need uh, to do that. But finally, to the, to the main point that I want to get to, um, obviously you need the Holy Spirit to do that, to lead in the church, right? I tell people, and you guys are pastors, know this already, I tell them at seminary a couple things. One, sheep make noise, right? Get amen on that? Both ends. <laughs> if you, you got to learn to be a pastor to grab the right end. Because <laughs> you grab the wrong end, it's all over you. Sheep get scared real quick, and they can't tell the enemy from the shepherd, and they go all over you, okay? And so to be a leader in the church, to be honest, uh, not to be crazy, you got to take a lot of crap. But if you ever complain, just remind yourself, which God had to do to me at one point. I was working at a Christian institution, and somebody was trying to get me fired wrongly. And uh, I was wimping and you know, inside, going, well, this is unfair. Okay? And then they sent this person to evaluate my courses. You know? and, and at one point, you know, I'm not a charismatic, so don't think, but God said to me, in my heart, you chump. Jesus Christ went through what he went through and you think you're going to get through life without this? Who do you think you are? And the Lord used that to humble me. The point is, Judas betrays him. Everybody but John leaves. And there's Christ alone on the cross. My God, my God. And uh, Paul dies that way too, doesn't he? Hey, Timothy... I'm being poured out as a drink offering. I'm almost gone. But guess what? I fought the good fight. I've kept the faith. And there's laid up for me a crown. And not just for me, but what? Everyone who loves the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> now, the last point, and that's where it comes to the culture. Uh, we need to lead in the culture. Now again, we're not out to save culture. Okay, we've got enough sin on our past. Okay, we've got uh, slavery on our past. We've got uh, probably we produce more pornography than any other country in the world. So much so, you, you, I was out in California at the time, but you may or may not remember that the Northridge earthquake, you know, in, in the L.A. area way back where bridges broke up and everything like that. You know, it was really interesting. Everybody except McGarth and others were breaking their necks to say, oh, God didn't have anything to do with this, right? Well, some pornographer said, you know, because the epicenter of the earthquake was where? Right where the porno industry is. And the guy, and the guy who's a pagan goes, well, I can just imagine all the evangelical Christians at this point saying God's getting even with us. I mean, and all the priests and rabbis and others were going, oh, God didn't have anything to do with this. God had everything to do with that. Okay? The reality is the culture is going to hell in a handbasket. But, you know, again, I, I'm not here to save culture. But the point is, brothers, for all our sins, this has been a great sending nation for missionaries. And our day is going. It's, you know, if we don't see a revival right now through the power of the Holy Spirit, America will go on the garbage heap of nations like every other nation that's rebelled against King Jesus. And I might remind you, whatever your eschatology is, Jesus is on the throne right now. Okay? So I don't care if you're pre-mill, a-mill, post-mill, I hope you're pro-mill. Okay, for the millennial reign of Jesus. Because if you're not, there's something wrong with you. You're messed up in your theology. But we want to see Jesus Christ affect our culture. Not people who claim to be Christians, but people who actually think and legislate and make judgments according to the scriptures. Now, I mean... Uh, Really, most people don't think we would have a chance to get anyone elected like that. But I just remind you of a couple names. 
Abraham, remember this is before the nation of Israel, right? Lot. Great economic decision, bad moral decision. I'll take the green stuff. Uncle, you go the other way. Okay? And you remember what, remember where Lot ended up? Okay? In Sodom and Gomorrah, in Zoar, and God's people were messing with the Ammonites and the Moabites for generations, right? The illegitimate children of Lot by his daughters. But Abraham went and got involved. Didn't take a penny, right, from King of Sodom or Gomorrah. I've sworn by God, I won't give anything. I won't take anything from you. But he gave what? A tenth to Melchizedek. There's a man who lived in the culture, but not of the culture. He affected it. How about Joseph? Right? Two years in a trumped-up rape charge. Ends up, I bet old, don't read about it, but I bet old Potiphar was a little bit of, getting a little shaky there, right? Especially Mrs. Potiphar after, you know, Joseph came to number two, you know, to Pharaoh, okay? But uh, he affected the whole country. Saved God's people. Moses. He did it two ways, right? His way, we go, you going to kill me like you killed, you know, the Egyptian? Uh-oh. He goes out, okay? Next time he comes in, does it God's way, okay? Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you know? All well known. In fact, these are the people that we really respect. Salt and light in the New Testament. I love this, you know, John, Peter and John. Whoa, 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 whoa. You want me to stop preaching in the name of Jesus? Hmm. You determine whether it's better to obey God or y'all. We're not going to stop preaching. We look at those people. They're affecting culture. Huh? They're affecting it. They're salt and light. Obviously, you need the Holy Spirit to do that. Now, I've got to remind you, and I always have to remind myself. Remember Hebrews 11. If you're like me, you're cheering, right? The first seven-eighths of the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11. They put foreign armies to flight. They shut the mouths of lions. They receive their dead back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you get to that last part. Some got sawn in half. Can I be in the first seven-eighths, Lord? Not the second. They all got what? A plus because they had what? Faith. God gave them a job to do it. They did the job by His grace and power. Some got killed for it. Some got exalted for it. But they all suffered to do the will of God. And we need to do that. Well, let me end this by saying you need to be led by the Holy Spirit. Obviously, if I could get to seminary unsaved, you could get to a biblical counseling conference and not be born again. Uh, and you know this, I'll just, just remind you again, brothers, not to step on any toes, but to step on toes. Okay? I went forward so many times, I can't tell you how many times I asked Jesus into my heart. And I've come to the conclusion, you know, if I could get a good invitation going and get a parrot to come forward and land, go, ah, Jesus, Lord, ah, Jesus, Lord, is the parrot saved? Of course not. The parrot doesn't even have a soul, okay? The bottom line is God does the saving, okay, not me, okay? And when I got to, to realize that the grace of God is involved, that's when I got converted in seminary. I basically went to seminary as a Protestant guilt trip. You know, Catholics, they go to confessional every week, right? Evangelicals, we go forward and ask Jesus into our heart, you know, Billy Graham, Crusader, wherever, okay? Bottom line was, okay, I needed to be regenerated by the power of the Spirit of God. Have you been saved by the grace of God? Because you need a perfect track record, and only Jesus has that. And only Jesus' blood can cover your sins. That's the gospel. And we're not going to affect anybody or anything. Wife, kids, church, or culture. We're not going to be men who understand the time and what it needs to be done. 
And that's what I want you to be. You need to be saved. Secondly, you need to be sanctified. Could it be that some of you are still struggling with pornography? Could it be that some of you are still struggling with bitterness or anger or other issues? doesn't matter. Pull one out, put the other one. Sin is sin. Okay? Uh, if you're not being sanctified, you're not going to be able to lead your family, your church, or anybody else. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not being sanctified, you can't lead the people to McDonald's, let alone to the cross. <laughs> so so I'm, I'm begging you, be sent, not only saved from the wrath to come, but be saved really from your great enemies, the whole holy trinity, the world, the flesh, and the devil. So you need to be sanctified. So in other words, put it bluntly, you need biblical counseling. You need to be growing in grace. Okay? You can't be like my former allergist who's dead now, okay, out in San Diego. He used to go out and out behind the building, catch a smoke, and come back in, you know, smell the smoke. Not really good for an asthmatic, okay? You know, and that's the old saying. Do as I say, not as I do. Doesn't work in Christian ministry that way. You've got to be set apart uh, to the Lord. And finally, you need to sacrifice. These men who came to fight with David, they had to leave their family behind. And if you remember what happened at Ziklag, while they were out fighting battles, somebody came and carried them away. And the men only wanted, you know, they wanted to turn on David and get him. But you know, God rescued him. They got all their family members back. Their sacrifice if you're going to be affecting people. Now, I don't know all of you, some of your pastors, some of you work IT at you know, colleges. <clears throat> Wherever you are, you need to impact that world. Let's end with this. There's a, it's, she's sort of famous now. She's a cult hero in a good sense. <clears throat> Rosaria Butterfield. You all heard of her? <clears throat> Here's a woman who, okay, you didn't. Okay, yeah, get her books. She's written three. Okay, the one is the, um, what's the first one? Uh, Memoirs of an Unlikely Convert. <clears throat> this woman was the youngest tenured uh, faculty member at Syracuse University. You probably have heard of Syracuse. If you know anything about education, you know about sports, okay? So, okay, Syracuse, okay? She was the youngest tenured professor. <clears throat> she was in lesbian and clear studies. She was uh, a lifelong lesbian partner. Uh, she was out <clears throat> to trash Christians. And a guy named Ken Smith, <clears throat> who was an RP pastor, who <clears throat> was in Syracuse, uh, just wrote her a letter, said, gee, I saw what you wrote in the paper, and uh, have you ever thought of this? <clears throat> and, like, she actually had such hate mail and fan mail, you know, that she would turn them in two baskets, and she threw his away because it was hate mail. Then, must have been the spirit prompted her to take that out. She read it, and after like a year of inviting and writing her letters and stuff, she actually started going out to his house to dinner with he and his wife. And eventually, about a year or two later, she was converted. Talk about angry people. <clears throat> I mean, the gay and lesbian understanding, the LGBT community, they all, she, she's, become a, she's become a traitor. Okay? <clears throat> and uh, her latest book was uh, The Gospel Comes with a House Key. It's on radical hospitality. So <clears throat> here's a woman, okay? Uh, one... Woman. Now again, she's tenured professor. She's kind of known in the gay and lesbian community. But look what happened to one person who was converted just because somebody wrote her a nice letter instead of a nasty letter. And she said it was interesting because she was into the whole uh, modern thing of uh, what's written isn't what the author meant. It's the reader interpreter, you know, that whole thing, modern. So it's kind of interesting, but she said, well, if I'm going to trash the Bible, I have to understand it from its own hermeneutical principle. So she started reading the Bible. She also, you know, Italian Catholic, went to Catholic schools, to high school, and then threw the whole thing over. But the bottom line is, one person can affect a lot of people. 
And we need dozens of Rosarios. We need other people. We need people like you and me who probably will never be famous or known by a lot of people. But you're in a battle for your own soul. You're in a battle for the soul of your wife and your kids. And I'm not here to say I'm perfect, okay? I have kids walking with the Lord and I have kids that have turned against the Lord. That are going to churches, okay? None of my kids don't go to church, but they're going to churches that you and I would say are apostate churches. Read the Bible with them every day, etc., etc. So um, <clears throat> it's not over till it's over, and, and we're praying for the Lord's conversion. We're, we're in a we are in a battle for our very lives, for the lives of our family, our churches, and brothers and sisters. Don't think they're not coming after us. They're going to be coming after us. Okay. Do you know? Well, I, many of you may know this. There, there's a there's legislation they're trying to pass in California. Any written literature that takes a, an anti-gay stance will be hate literature. And not That means the Bible would become illegal in the state of California. Brother, it's that close. Okay, So, so I'm really saying uh, time is short and we've got to fight this, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Our own sins flee to Christ so that we'll be part of the solution, not the problem. Porn and abortion is why we are where we are. We're going to talk tomorrow. How do we get here? There's clearly historic reasons because Christians who are awaiting the rapture of Jesus Christ cease to be involved, and now what? Every major university in the country is now secular. I'll just give you another example. UPMC, right? What's, what's Pittsburgh known for now? It's medical. And what is it? UPMC. The University of Pittsburgh Medical College has bought almost all the hospitals in Pittsburgh. Presbyterian. You know, Catholic. All the religious hospitals that were started by religious people because of a commitment to God, even if it wasn't an evangelical one, that's gone. It's a secularized culture. And so if you have people in your congregation that are lawyers, if you have people that are doctors, if you have people that are teachers, if you have people that are trash collectors, they not to start thinking like Christians and being salt and light because, brothers, we don't have much time. And God forbid that I ever say what Hezekiah did. Whew. Okay, good. It's not going to come in my lifetime. So at least I won't have to see Israel go down the tubes. Okay, tomorrow I'll explain how we got here and the way to fight back. But uh, we should be grateful to King Jesus. We have the one who came from heaven without physical armament and fought the battle. Okay? The next time Jesus comes back, he's not coming back as the lamb. He's the lion of the king of Judah. And when he comes back, there's literally, I can't say it, all puns intended, there's hell to pay. And he's the only way to escape that. The first coming is the only way to get out of the second coming. The new birth is the only way to get out of the second death. And brothers, people all around us are going to hell and they need the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm calling you out. Men, be God's mighty men. So someday, when we are in heaven and they're reading the history of the world post-scripture, I'll say, there's King Jesus and there's his mighty men. And your name will be there. And if you can't take out a thousand, at least take out a hundred. If you can't take out of a hundred, at least go mano a mano and take someone else out to glory with you. The worst thing that happens to me now, and I think you brothers know this, is a day when I preach and I don't know that somebody's been affected by the gospel. Farmers like to farm. They hate sitting behind desks. They'd rather be in a John Deere, you know, or, or some other, you know, tractor, but they don't disc and harrow and do all that stuff just because they like to be outside. They do it to get crops. So please, 
pray with me that God will pour out His Spirit in a fresh way and that we'll see revival. And to do that, this is a man's job. Let's not leave it to women and children to lead the gospel army forward. Let's pray. Father, all the king's men, all the horse king's men, all the king's horses can't put the United States together again. But the same gospel that transformed the Roman Empire, Lord, can do that today. Lord, we need a third great awakening. We need an awakening uh, of the magnitude of Whitfield and, Lord, uh, the tenets and others. Would you be pleased to do that now? And, Lord, if we die and see that before we die, we can die as happy men. Lord God, give us that. Lord, uh, Lord, it's a... Help us to be more like Rachel. Give us souls or we want to die. Thank you, Jesus, that everyone that you have died for will come to you. But, Lord, we've not lived to see that day and we want to see it now. Please be merciful to us, to our families, to our churches, to our culture. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.